Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am here at the Georgian Partners Portfolio Conference in Toronto, Canada, where I'll be doing a few interviews. And I am excited to be here with Kenneth Conroy. Kenneth is the VP of Data Science at Fin.ai. Kenneth, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And so you're in from Vancouver. Yeah, just in from Vancouver from last night. So still feeling it a bit, but uh, <laughs> happy to be here. Nice. Why don't we get started by having you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in data science and machine learning? Sure. Well, I'm from Ireland and I did my PhD in Dublin City University in the area of heterogeneous sensor data. So I was in a research lab called the Center for Clarity Center for Sensor Web Technologies. And I was involved with coming up with a way of aggregating sensor content from multiple different devices that were not in any way connected. Mm. In doing that, I, I ended up coming up with machine learning strategies for clustering and having them supervised learning for finding out things that the researchers wanted to detect. The researchers in this case would be domain experts in sports science. And from there, when I finished my PhD, I continued working in the same university, but for the Insight Center for Data Analytics. And that's where I moved way into the NLP, <laughs> machine learning, sentiment analysis projects. It was a commercialization wing of the university, essentially. Okay. And I ended up moving to Vancouver maybe three years ago. And now I'm at Finn AI and leading the data science team as we create conversational assistance for banks. Nice, nice. Is there a lot of machine learning and AI activity in Ireland? Yes, there's a very big hub actually in Dublin. Um, okay. I'm half hoping that we set up a Dublin branch for our EMEA headquarters in the future. <laughs> I know a lot of people in the field, uh, in the universities, very qualified people there. So yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a hub right now for, for machine learning. Nice. So tell us a little bit more about what Finn is up to. So we're creating conversational assistance for banks. So think of a Siri for your bank. Mm -hmm. We provide things like day-to-day -day banking, your basic banking needs, like checking your balance online or paying bills or transferring money from friends to friends, as well as more kind of day-to-day -day kind of Q&A type stuff you would ask a bank, you know, what okay. your fees are for your credit cards, product information, stuff like that. We integrate with the bank's APIs for security, um, logging in, if we have any interactions with your bank accounts. And essentially, yeah, we're just kind of expanding our product base beyond the initial NLU side of things for detecting intents, to having recommendation engines in the future, as well as credit score coach, moving more into voice platforms. So right now we're, we're NLP based, text interface mostly. We have experimented with some voice interfaces, but our primary platform is Facebook, for which we launched a production bot for ATB Financial as of yesterday. So okay, congrats. Yeah, we're in production as of yesterday. Nice, nice. So you're here at the conference as a portfolio company of Georgian Partners, but you're also speaking at the conference later on today. What are, what's the topic of your talk? The talk topic title went through some iterations. So I think it's a, how we built a virtual banking assistant or virtual, assist, virtual financial assistant for banks. Okay. So it sounds like that's the story, the Finn story. Yeah, essentially, yeah. So uh, <laughs> one of our co-founders, Natalie Cartwright, she'll be introducing the talk and giving a lot of the business insight into mm -hmm. why we went down the path we went down. And then I'll talk more to the data science side of things 
and how the technical challenges arose along the way and how we make the decisions we made and, and how we're kind of continually improving on that process. Okay, well, let's dig into that. What were some of the major you know, goals and challenges on the data science side? So I think we kind of reduced the problem to its core issue, which was how do you design a taxonomy of intents for which you want to get answers? It's a bit of a complex task because you've got to, for us, we were a closed domain. We wanted to stay a closed domain and stay in retrieval-based systems. So uh, it's banking only and the responses are pre-written, no generative responses at all. Okay. So when we have that as our canvas and we want to create a taxonomy to kind of drill down into individual branches of what the conversational tree might be, that was a lot of, there were a lot of challenges involved in that. Where do you draw the boundaries between things? At what stage or to what extent do you want to make it conversational with one-to-one responses? Mm-hmm. So the bulk of our functionality in terms of intents would be one level. You would say a question and you get an answer. Okay. But some of them will have flows. So if you want to make a bill payment, you can say something like, I want to pay my BC Hydro bill $50, and it'll pre-fill those things using entity recognition and ask you to confirm. Or if you don't give enough details, we'll ask you for more input. And mm-hmm. that kind of to-and-fro conversational side of things comes into it. So uh, In that case, it's almost like walking through a wizard in a traditional UI where you've got a set of you know, questions that represent information that's needed to fulfill the transaction and you just go one to the next to the next? Exactly. And based on conversations we have with customer service agents, so a lot of our functionality is to kind of help the CSAs answer mm-hmm. questions. In doing that, we got a list of questions that they get on a daily basis and we could weight them based on how, how frequent they came in. And from that was kind of like the seed of how we would build this taxonomy that one-to-one communication with, with banks. And as we speak to more and more people in different banks, we're seeing the commonality between the banks is very strong. There's maybe 85, 90% commonality in what they want, what they want to achieve. Okay. So that's the good side about having this taxonomy in place. You can bootstrap a bot fairly quickly mm-hmm. and get it up to a reasonable level of performance very quickly. Mm-hmm. It's then when you want to build out those more kind of fully featured functions and those conversational side of things. That's when the complexities come into it and, and where the kind of future is for the business. Mm-hmm. A bunch of questions. I guess one question is not necessarily related to the data science side of things, but are you, are you integrating one-to-one with the banks or are you using like some kind of intermediary like a Yodely or something like that? I think, so I don't know too much about the, <laughs> what goes on behind the scenes and the engineering side of things. So a lot of the, the engineering team will, will do a lot of the interaction, integrations with the banks themselves. Okay. A lot of our bots are completely done by us, hosted by us, and accessible by anybody because they're not personally, no personally identifiable information in there. But for banks that require API integrations with the banks themselves, we provide an interface for the banks to give the security credential requirements Okay. and login functionality. So all that stuff is done by them. We do not take the, the responsibility of authenticating the users. Mm. Uh, that's up to the banks to do if they want to have integrations with their systems. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to have a banking bot that doesn't deal with any personally identifiable information? Are you me- saying that you're just passing requests to the bank and they're answering them? Or are you talking about you know, bots that just don't deal with account information that are like telling you where to find branches and ATMs and that kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah, some of our functionality would be finding ATMs or 
just basic questions about the products and services they offer. Okay. And that stuff is not confidential in any way. It's open information that may exist on an FAQ in mm-hmm. a different format on their, on their site. So it's still a conversational way of, of talking to your bank or a mm-hmm. bank. It doesn't necessarily have to be your bank if you're not authenticated with it. But yeah, that, that's, that's what I mean. Okay. You know, what percentage of the banks you're working with are taking this approach where, you know, it's just that surface level interaction versus account level detail? Typically when we do POCs, so four banks, the first version will not have banking integrations. Okay. Banks move a lot slower than yeah. startups, for instance. So if they want to integrate their systems with us, we have to have a lot of trust between us. Mm-hmm. So we've had a relationship with ATB Financial for over a year now. And based on that level of trust and that level of co- working collaboratively together, we've been able to create a production bot that uses all of that API integration. Okay. Yeah, building up that trust and, and building up that system for them and, and allowing them to test it and kind of iterate on it before it goes to production is kind of key. Okay. So we started talking about the data science side of things in terms of, in terms of identifying the intents. Like in what way can you characterize the, you know, the breadth of the, the intents or the interactions that you have for the, a typical customer? Like how many, you know, how many of these intents, you know, are there in a, a realm like banking? So this question comes up a lot. (laughs) What is an intent? So we use a lot of entity recognition to reduce the amount of intents. We do not want a lot of intents in our system. We want to break down the problem into kind of smaller subsets, more consumable subsets. So the amount of intents is actually quite low compared to what you would think based on the amount of responses we can give. We Mm -hmm. give thousands of responses, Mm -hmm. but there might only be a few hundred intents. And it depends on the agent, the functionality that we have. It depends on how many kind of FAQ type questions they want in there Mm -hmm. and what subset of all functionality that we can offer they want to make use of. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the the amount of intents is kind of a wishy-washy number. Mm -hmm. The amount of responses is a solid number that we can give on a per agent basis. Mm -hmm. But the amount of potential intents is kind of set at a certain value for our core basic banking needes. So Mm -hmm. The, the taxonomy tree as an empty list of responses. Mm-hmm. So anywhere you could put a response in any of those leaves, and that's another response. Uh, and that's okay. up to the banks to decide what they want to support. And the banks come to us with their, their call logs information, analytics on what the subject matter is for their chat logs, for instance. Mm-hmm. And then they can see the subset of the taxonomy that, that would best meet their needs. Mm. What level of abstraction is an intent? Is it something like, you know, I want to ask a question about an FAQ or is it like individual questions? You know, does it map more closely to individual FAQ questions or responses? So it depends. Things like if you want to find an ATM would have like a find ATM intent. It's fairly well defined. If you want to find out your fees for your MasterCard, for instance, Mm -hmm. the intent might be fees. Okay. The entity recognition would find what the MasterCard is or means and provide a different response based on MasterCard rather than Visa. Okay. So that's the way we break it down into smaller bite-sized chunks. Okay. Interesting. So you've, you've got this tree structure, you've got these entities. Well, I guess a, a, a kind of basic question, are you using any of the commercial bot platforms to, to do any of this stuff, like the API data AIs of the world and, and others? Not anymore. 
So okay. we did. Oh, uh, interesting. Initially, we <laughs> used API AI way back when. So, and they're great for what they're built to do. Mm-hmm. They allow you to create bots fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Not much data involved. Accuracy isn't too bad. They're fairly customizable. But they weren't the way that we could continue. They were too limited in terms of what we wanted to achieve. We had no idea what was in their model, for instance. We had no secondary match for what their primary intent match would be. And you said no idea what was in their model, meaning you know, they identified intents using you know, NLP, whatever, but you know, it was all a black box to you. They just exactly. you know, gave you an API and told you, you know, hey, bot user you know, initiated this intent and you know, we found these entities and figured it out, but you couldn't tweak or tune that at all. Exactly, yeah. There okay. was uh, limitations on where we could go with it. Okay. If we wanted to have multi-layer models, for instance, or focus on or upweight specific types of intents, mm-hmm. the functionality just wasn't there to be in a scalable enterprise product within our domain. And because we were in our domain, we wanted to have a system where we could reuse as much of what we were pro- providing for each bank across banks. Mm-hmm. API is quite complex when it comes to sharing data from one agent to another. And you need individual agents for that. Okay. There's also a limitation on the amount of data you can upload to it and the rate limitation on how often you can request okay. model matches and so on. So they're the reason why we moved away. And we, that was the move to our production system was 100%. It's our own now. Okay. You mentioned in there multi-layer models. What, what would that entail or what does that represent? So in place of our entity recognition. We are building up data sets to find how the user kind of goes down a certain tree. Okay. Right now we're using entity recognition to do that, but we could mm-hmm. use a model to do that. It's like a subset of all available intents, but narrowed down to those individual entities. Once mm-hmm. the data set is a bit more richer and a bit more well-defined and developed and we have more user data, we can use that as an additional layer in the model. So there'd be the existing model, which is the, the top layer intent match, Mm-hmm. And then within each conversational flow, there are kind of sub-models that have all available actions there as well as a few escape actions. So rather than having to cancel out of that flow mm-hmm. to query something else, you get a focused way of finding what the user's next input is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my head around what the... So the the idea of multi-layer, meaning you've got your entities that you're kind of extracting out traditionally, but then you're applying other probabilistic models to try to identify where the entities are? Is that the idea so behind the, multi-layer? The, the multi-layer model isn't in production, but okay. this is a replacement for part of that entity recognition modules. Okay. So given enough data and enough information on what the synonyms and aliases are for different entities in mm-hmm. our system, we can further define and automate that process rather than using the existing one because you've got to update things like synonyms over time and you might miss certain things. Okay. You might not always find MasterCard if it's if it's misspelt, for instance. Okay. But that said, both that approach and the existing approach, if you misspell MasterCard, because we're using the intent level at a higher level, we're still finding it what the intent of the user is, which is say fees, and we can just guide the user via UX to the specific response they were actually looking for. Okay. And is part of that shift to the multi-layer? Is there kind of an underlying shift in approach from, you know, something analogous to NLTK on Python to something that's more like a homegrown deep learning entity recognizer? 
Yeah, so we have two tracks right now. We have our production track, which is it's a kind of a Spark Python pipeline. Okay. Using word embeddings and using you know, word to vec and okay. other algorithms like that. And then we have our kind of research or D track. In that track, we're working on deep deep learning stuff. Okay. We're working on MXNet and TensorFlow in parallel. We're experimenting mm. on where we're going to get the best accuracy over time mm-hmm. and where this can fit into our multi-layer approach. And why MXNet and TensorFlow? So TensorFlow is very popular and MXNet is very good. <laughs> so we are... Now, I've heard MXNet is very fast. I don't know that I've, that I've heard very good necessarily. Not that it's not, but... I can't speak with too much confidence on the subject. Well, maybe define good. I can't. <laughs> okay. Got it. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, there are tons of, lots of framework choices out there. There are a lot there. And yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of early days for our deep learning path. Okay. But the goal was to get this out into production and in a usable state and have our stakeholders happy with the performance of it, which okay. they are, which is great. But this is the exciting kind of future side. It's getting everyone on the team very excited yeah. working on the, on the uh, deep learning side of things. Nice, nice. Are you able to characterize in some way the benefit that you, you know, besides from kind of the flexibility and visibility, agility, all that illity kind of things, like in going from API.ai where you didn't kind of control the model to, you know, that first pipeline that you just mentioned where you're using word and stuff like that. Are there quantitative, was there specific quantitative advantages that you saw? Yeah, so when we're evaluating, we couldn't evaluate API in the same way that we didn't have the ability to see, split the training test data on their side and find out what the cross-validation score would be, for instance. We can do that and objectively evaluate our own models against our own models, which is great. But we do analyze logs and we take a snapshot of everything that's gone through our system as it exists in API and then put it into our new model as well. Mm-hmm. and then compare the results of that in real-world terms. So we take a snapshot of a week's worth of data that goes into an agent yeah. and see how accurate it is based on, on that. That's what the banks are interested to see, too. They're interested to see the real-world accuracy of something mm-hmm. without kind of adjusting for duplication in the data or however cross-fold validation kind of... It's hard for them to visualize how that's working. Mm. So real-world, they need to see what those values are. So in doing that, we can see that our, our models are, are outperforming what was existing for API. Okay. So we started down the path of, of challenges. Are there other things that, that come to mind in terms of challenges that you've come across? I guess, and we haven't seen it too much, but it can happen, and we're quite wary of it, and we're kind of getting ahead of the curve by cautioning against it, is intent drift. So when the banks themselves have the ability to map utterances, Mm-hmm. to intents, we are at risk of having our taxonomy start to diverge based on how they write the response and how they think that should be the answer for that specific intent. Mm-hmm. If you've got a bunch of data in there that's labeled for an intent and all those pieces are answered by that response and then part of that response gets taken away, then it doesn't make sense for those things that were in there initially to still map to the same place. And it looked like it's doing the right thing, but the response isn't being given to the user. So to kind of counteract that, we are building tools for the banks to be able to do this themselves. So the CSAs mm-hmm. with our human in the loop infrastructure will be able to correct errors made and map things 
to the correct intent mm-hmm. and then feed that back into our system. And we also have methods of coming up with approximations of what those things are, kind of prompting the user to pick mm-hmm. from some subset of those things. But we want to have a two or three level deep kind of verification on anything they map to make sure that it is appropriate response to what the user's utterance was. Hmm. So, Can you give me an example of where you know, they might change something that, that disrupts that relationship? Sure. We have things like, tell me about you and who are you? And sometimes the response to that is given as the same thing, but they're separate intents. Tell me about you and who are you? So tell me about you would be like, what can you do? Okay. Whereas who are you is just an introduction to the bot itself. Okay. But sometimes who are you means who are you, the bank. Right. So how, what training data goes in for that is important depending on the context of what that response is. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned that the, the CSAs, it sounds like to some extent the customer service teams at the bank have some role in kind of defining out the hierarchy and the, the responses. Is that correct? Or are you doing this all as a, a service for them? So our earlier collaborations, very mm-hmm. heavily involved with meeting with the bank's CSAs, okay. uh, talking through their, their issues, how their, their data forms their opinions and what should be in there or whatnot. But we do have a base taxonomy based on those consultations with multiple banks at this okay. point. And we can see about 85-90% of commonality across all the banks. Okay. So that's kind of our core taxonomy. And if, if banks want to extend beyond that, they just know that they'll have, we'll have fewer data entries for those things, fewer utterances to train. It would be a little less accurate at first. But if it makes sense, we can build that in as part of our, our core offering. Mm-hmm. In other cases, it might be locale-based or it might just be for that one bank. Okay. Uh, and in those cases, they're just one-offs kind of customizations. Okay. And so this case where you, you get kind of drift in the intent, is that because of changes that the customer service people are able to make in the underlying system? Or is it the training data that they feed to you that you are putting through your pipeline? So the customer, which is the bank, has the ability to change the responses if they want to change the responses. Got it. We kind of monitor that to make sure it doesn't go too far away from the meaning of what that intent is. Okay. But they're also able to use our systems to manually answer questions. So Mm -hmm. if a a query comes in and we do not have the high enough confidence to give the answer, it gets handed off to our human in the loop system. Okay. And then at that point, they can answer the question and then recommend an intent or utterance to map to that. Mm. Over time as well, they can also monitor their own logs. And if they have people who are qualified to do so, we can educate them to do so. They can mark those logs for them, for for us, Mm -hmm. for themselves. And then that can be fed back into their model. So this happens a lot in pre-production when we're, we have user acceptance testing with our banks. Mm-hmm. They kind of pre-train the bot by interacting with it mm-hmm. time and time again. Typically, we annotate that, but we want to hand over some of that to the banks too to give them an insight into the type of things that are being asked and how we best answer those questions. Okay. And so is there a, you know, it sounds like the intent drift challenge is you know, almost like a, you know, skill slash cultural slash focus kind of thing. How much of that is addressed by, you know, educating the customer service folks, you know, versus 
uh, technolo technology solution? It's a bit of both. And it's not just the customer service folks, too. It's anybody in the organization. Okay. They might say they want a thousand questions answered. Right. But that isn't 1,000 distinct intents in any right. way. Or even sometimes they're exact same intent and the exact same subset of intent. So okay. I think part of it is to frame the problem differently. People still kind of tend to think of things like FAQs in a chatbot as if it's an FAQ on a web page. Mm -hmm. But those type of questions don't get asked in the same way as they would be listed on a web page. You've got to mm -hmm. structure things differently. It's not conversational. It's not intuitive. Mm -hmm. And the user doesn't, just doesn't do it. So part of it is managing the expectations from the, from the start, mm -hmm. and training the users, the customers, on how we best organize this information and why we do that. As well as because we have got the, the taxonomy that's kind of shared across banks, we can reuse the data across banks. Mm -hmm. And that's mutually beneficial for everyone involved because it means the accuracy of all of those intents improve as mm -hmm. data from each of those banks come in. Mm -hmm. Interesting. In your presentation, will you, will you be outlining, do you have any like kind of prescriptive, you know, if you're looking at doing chatbots or maybe even ML or AI generally, like do, you know, things one through N? Uh, kind of, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's obviously heavily weighted in the way we actually did it and how, uh -huh. how we tried it and how it didn't work and then how we did it and it seemed to be working pretty well. Um, so yeah, I'll talk about exactly how we did it as well as how we're best seeing rolling this out works to customers. Okay. So seeing this in the real world, seeing how customers interact with it and, and help you get to where you need to go and where themselves need to go, it's really cool to see. So what are your top three... You know, make sure you do this or don't make this mistake kind of advice to startups that are trying to, to get systems like this up and running. Don't rush into it. So make sure the taxonomy is well-defined. You will spend mm -hmm. a lot of time researching this at the start. Mm -hmm. Two is you got to get some good data in there. We looked at lots of sources of information, including previous chat logs or transcripts from calls. They're not great. Even as C data, they're not very good, and they're often unstructured and difficult to even annotate in any way. Mm -hmm. We found for the cold start problem, crowdsourcing is key. Getting a list of different ways of saying different things mm -hmm. can get you very far very quickly. Hmm. And then, and did you crowdsource among the customer service agents at customers or like Amazon Turk or something like that? Yeah, both. Okay, uh, so oh, interesting. Mechanical Turk for kind of things that customers weren't helping build. Right. Maybe their features for our core platform that have not been released yet. Mm -hmm. And then often customers would have their own ideas mm -hmm. and they would submit those ideas. We would build on those by submitting uh, Mechanical Turk jobs okay. to get more data. Okay. I guess then the third thing would be to consider where you draw the line between intents and entities. Mm. how you reduce the problem space and the ac increase the accuracy by customizing to a certain extent to the domain you're working in. So get that taxonomy up and running, get that dictionary of terms for banking up and running if mm -hmm. you're in banking. Obviously, I don't want you to do a banking bot. <laughs> and but you said a bunch of stuff in there. So the first thing was the line between the entities and the intents. And we haven't talked about that yet. Is, is there, 
Is there like a trade-off dial in there somewhere that you have to kind of find the right place? It's a, it's not a straightforward task to find out where to do that or what the top intent should be. Like, do you mm -hmm. focus on a product and then have a bunch of sub-entities that, that have different features of that product? Or you talk about the features mm -hmm. and talk about products that correspond to that feature or thing like fees, whatever. Mm -hmm. So the way you segment that stuff, you got to be able to kind of keep track of what you've done as well. If you ever want to go back again and change right. things, you don't want to be doing that when you've got a few million data entries yeah. in there to annotate. It's just going to be an impossible task. So that's an issue with a lot of the kind of first-time bot builder. You just build a bot and it works, and you're like, okay, well, cool, it works. Mm -hmm. Then you want to add another 10 or 20 questions. Then you got a lot of conflicts because there's lots of similarity between those questions and existing questions. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the downside to doing that approach and the upside to having a vertical and a well-defined taxonomy to, to take into account everything that could be asked in that vertical. Mm. And is there a right or a wrong way to approach building out that taxonomy in terms of you know, this, this line between the intents and the entities? Or is it more, you, know, you just have to do something and stick to it and be like, absolutely consistent as you expand out your vocabulary? Yeah, I mean, there's no right answer to this. It's a very difficult problem to solve. Mm -hmm. It's not that you can't change it afterwards, but you want to change it a little bit. You want to tweak it. You might split some intents or combine mm -hmm. other intents, but you don't want to completely rebuild the system every few weeks or months. Sure. So, yeah, it's a bit of both. Mm -hmm. But there was another question that I wanted to, to ask that's maybe going a little bit back to, you know, so you kind of, you you scrapped api.ai and built your own system for doing this and you said it was you said it was spark and python did you also invest in building like you know almost like a user interface or kind of a, a higher level platform tools for both your internal people and the banks or your, you know, how sophisticated does that layer need to be in order to have a usable system? Yeah, it's a very complex system. And it's, I guess, 70% built right now. Okay. And mostly <laughs> the internal functionality. We don't have the external bank-facing side of things running yet. Okay. But it's essentially our interface to our database. It's uh, mm -hmm. where we define what intents belong to each customer, mm -hmm. what the taxonomy is for that, for instance, what entities are in there, uh, mm -hmm. where they apply, what the response content is, mm -hmm. and the ability to map from utterance to those intents and support the user in making those decisions too. So to make sure that you got the context as to what that intent means. If there are a few hundred intents, it might be difficult to know exactly what an utterance should go into if mm -hmm. you're not you know, fluent in the system. So we have some supporting information, metadata associated with that or examples that already exist mm -hmm. to help you make that decision. So yeah, that's called the Atlas Project. That's, uh, okay. that's uh, kind of our are the, I guess, the heart behind everything. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. And then in terms of, we were speaking upstairs earlier, and you mentioned that you, as part of you know, getting to this initial production customer, you kind of replatformed everything. How did you have things deployed before, and, and how are they deployed now? So before we had API for doing a lot of our functionality, for entity recognition, for instance, as well as the model itself. Mm -hmm. But now we have that entirely ours. It's a, right. a rebuild. Okay, from... yeah, I guess I was, I was wondering in terms of, I guess, 
Now that you've kind of built your own platform to replace API.ai, what processes and automation have you built up around deploying models out into production? Yeah, so the offline stuff, so that's like the training of the model. We, yeah. don't, we don't have kind of well-defined release processes for that side of things. But any model we build and we release, we have a strict release process that's done with engineering and DevOps. And we ensure that we have a record of what models deployed in which environment, what was trained on, what the results of evaluation were over time. And it's controlled. We don't just release models whenever we feel like it. We also have test suites that we must run through before we ever release anything to production to make sure we've not broken anything. If any intent has reduced in accuracy and that affects something else down the line uh, in terms of maybe a flow or a conversational flow or some keyword isn't working at some point in the flow, we got to make sure that's caught and not deployed. Though I think we're maturing as a company in that we're a lot more strict on our deployment environments and how we're actually doing things. But yeah, everything is, is hosted up on the cloud. We've got a serialized model to produce the intent recognition side of things. And it's, yeah, it's working pretty well. You mentioned that you're also able to catch, you know, when intents change meaning and things like that in testing. But are you also able to, do you have machinery in place that is able to identify you know, I guess I'm thinking of it like kind of the long tail of, you know, intents or entities that aren't being, you know, caught by the the system. Like how automated does that need to be? Is that something where, you know, you can you run a, a weekly or monthly report and just look that look at, you know, what isn't being caught correctly? Or is there a, an automated process in place that, you know, is always up to date and you're always kind of trying to catch up to, you know, to kind of build out that long tail? Yeah, I think to some extent, some of the long tail, we're never going to go down Yeah, too. It's a long tail. It's a long tail, for <laughs> sure. And we do have the human in the loop functionality. It kind of it works really well for our use case. Okay. When it comes to finding the things that we probably should support, oftentimes we will have that, the ability to run it through our actual model, uh, mm-hmm. our kind of model trained on everything that we have, mm-hmm. rather than the model of things that we support for that agent. And mm-hmm. then we can find out, if there are things that we're accurately catching, but they just don't have a response for. Mm. So it looks like we just don't support it. That that catches some of those things. We can also use unsupervised kind of clustering to find groups of things or questions mm-hmm. that converge around a new topic or a new kind of question type that we may want to suggest to the customer to include or for us to include in our taxonomy if it does not already. We do also do manual log analysis. Mm-hmm. For the time being, we're, we're keeping an eye on the data. A lot of the data is, especially now, we've got production data coming in. It's, it's interesting to see mm-hmm. firsthand, help you make decisions on, on how we, we further the product from a customer point of view. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. It sounds like you guys are doing some really interesting things. And you know, in particular, it's interesting to hear some of the background behind kind of the platform shift and what that's enabled you to do. So thanks so much for sharing that. And I'm looking forward to catching your talk. Awesome. It was a pleasure. Awesome. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for your continued feedback and support. For more information on Kenneth or any of the topics covered in this episode, head on over to twimlai.com slash talk slash 61. 
To follow along with the Georgian Partner Series, visit twimlai.com slash gppc2017. Of course, you can send along feedback or questions via Twitter, at twimlai or at Sam Charrington, or leave a comment on the show notes page. Thanks once again to Georgian Partners for their sponsorship of the show. Be sure to check out their white papers, which you can find by visiting twimlai.com slash Georgian. Thanks again for listening and catch you next time.